Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate his love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Let's do it. I'm going to, if you brought your Bible today, I'm going to ask you to find the book of Hebrews and uh, I'm going to read some scripture. It's going to be very typical Chad style. Today I'm going to read some scripture, I'll explain some things and then get around to preaching and uh, for those who are following in their Bibles, for those who are working the screen or for those who are signing, I apologise, I'm going to be very, reading very fast. So, <laughs> so let's go, Hebrews chapter 1 and uh, verse 1 says this, in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, and so he became as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is as superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, on the other hand, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom, for you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, Lord, Speaking of Jesus, you laid the foundations of the earth, the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You'll roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same, for your years will never end. To which of the angels, after all, did God say, sit now at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? After all, and not all angels, just simply ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. In light of this, we must pay the most careful attention to what we've heard so that we don't drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received a just punishment, it's talking about Mount Sinai there, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also testified to it by signs, wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And so it goes on and so it goes on and so it goes on. Some of you know, uh, you follow me on Facebook, uh, you're part of that very, very small group. Then that I just had a week where I needed to take some time out, go to a cafe, have some meatballs. And read Hebrews this week. And so I sat down in the main street this week and I just read this book from start to finish because I know that it is one of those books that is all about Jesus. The week before last, when we closed out our spring preaching series, Rise and Shine, I spoke about shining through suffering. And I said at that time that there are certain words sometimes that come from the pulpit that are timeless. Truth is always timeless. And at times you hear a message that's timely. You know what that's like, don't you? When you walk away going, I needed to hear that today. <laughs> that was timely for me. I hear a word spoken sometimes that it's just good solid truth. Good any day of the week, another brick in the wall. And other times we walk away going, that was the quote, word of the Lord for this time. And when it comes to deciding what we preach from this pulpit, there are a number of ways that we go about that. Sometimes... Uh, we just choose series or messages that are just good, solid truth because truth is always good for you. So in winter this year, I did a whole seven-week series on how to handle the Scripture. 
I'm not going to lie to you and say an angel came to me or God spoke very clearly that that was the right thing to do. I just made a decision that that's a good thing to do. Sometimes there are messages that we speak that are just fitting for the season. It's the start of the year. Let's do a series called First Things First. Done. It's just practical. I've launched my book. My book's come out, says, Jay, how about I just preach from my book for a few weeks? Yep, done. Good, practical decision. Yet other times there are messages we speak that are strongly prophetically pertinent, that where we bring truth, not because it's a favourite truth or not because it's something that's sort of the flavour of the month, but because God, as it were, goes out of his way to say, to highlight an issue. Um, Somewhere during this year around about Easter, I really felt God speak to me strongly about prayer and fasting, which I knew must be God because... (laughs) 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 No... And out of that, knowing that God was speaking, we went into a 21-day fast. It happened to be in the lead-up to the election. And that was just like a now word. I really felt like I needed to speak to that. Well, in 17 years, I have never spoken on. To quote the Princess Bride, today I want to speak on marriage. On marriage. Now... Over the years, there's been few subjects that I've avoided, neglected to preach on. Eschatology is one of them. Uh, Studies of the last days, the resurrection of the dead, the rapture, if there is one, the return of Christ and all that type of thing. It took me 14 years before I ever did uh, on that subject or talked on that issue. And largely that's because for many years I've just never had a strong conviction on it and avoided those scriptures and... I had God TV and Christian TV for a while and everyone I saw preaching about last things came off a little weird to me and I didn't quite want to go down that track. So I kind of avoided it for a long time and took me 14 years before I did my first talk on that issue. Another issue I haven't spoken about very often at all is a really important one again, but even the issue of the miraculous and healing. And one of the reasons for that is because personally, I don't have a great track record in that area. And though I pray for people for healing and I have seen miracles take place immediately at my hands and my words. I don't have a confidence yet as someone who really believes it's important to practice what you preach first to speak in that issue. And so that's one issue I'm not happy to say, but I'm honest to say I've kind of avoided making a deal of over the years. It's not because it's important. It's really my issue more than anything else. And another area I've never really spoken on is the area of marriage, and that's mainly because I'm a coward. (laughs) Because I know as a preacher, you get tested on what you speak. (laughs) And quite frankly, I don't want any more testing (laughs) in that area of my life. So I'm just happy to say I'm a bit of a coward In that regard, I know that those who speak will be evaluated more harshly. And uh, I'm thinking, you know, it's 20 years we've been married this year. Maybe I'm kind of slightly almost qualified to even broach the subject. Uh, And uh, that's it. And the other reason I'm sort of shied away from the issue is because I'm aware of the complexities in this subject. And I don't just mean complexities in a broad sense, but complexities literally Right here, in this room, today. In this room today, we've had, we have people that I know, and I'll, be, I'll look this way so no one knows that I'm looking at them. I'll look this way. <laughs> who very recently have finalised their divorce. Who very recently have become separated and gone through the pain of knowing how do I explain this to our kids. Who people who have become single just recently through bereavement. There are people here in this room that have never married. Some are in their second and even third marriages. Some coming to terms right now with the possibility of being single for the rest of their life, even though they'd rather not. There are people here in this room that are quite recently married, just starting their families. There are people in this room who are recently engaged, who are considering the idea of marriage. There are some here who have separated and even divorced only to remarry one another a couple of years later. 
There are some here whose experience of marriage has been long and fulfilling. There's others whose experience was quite short and disappointing. There are some who are right now watching their children get married, even last week. And the joy of that experience, there are some, on the other hand, who are watching their kids go through divorce and watching the pain and, in some cases, the relief of that. There are some who have been faced with the challenge personally of infidelity in marriage. There are some who have faced the challenge of infidelity with people in their own family, very close family, and the pain of that. There are some who have faced the challenge of having their granddaughter invite them to their wedding of their female partner and knowing I want facing the challenge of knowing I want to be there to support my granddaughter in all of her life, but I have a conscious conscience that says, I believe marriage is something that is very firmly of male and female. What do I do around that invitation? There are people who are planning their weddings right now. There are people who just last week in our church family had their dream wedding only to know on that day as they're walking down the aisle, their 57-year-old mum is under palliative care in the hospital nearby. That's just in this room. And it's one of the great attractions to being a full-time itinerant preacher. (laughs) Because when you're a guest speaker, you don't know any of that stuff. And you can just talk on a subject and not know that person, that person, that person, what are they? You can just talk away knowing what God's put on your heart without knowing that. But one of the great privileges of being a church pastor is that you have insight into people's life. And one of the great responsibilities you have is to obey God when he speaks. Because in the last seven days, God has gone out of his way to highlight this issue to Jay and I. Last Sunday, a person came to me and said, in the last 10 days, they've had four dreams. The last one was Friday last week. They spoke to me Sunday. I feel like this is really important. I want to speak to you ASAP. Uh, okay, let's go and have a chat. The first three dreams were all about Christian marriages that they knew that were, going, that were basically splitting up and going through separation. The first being their own son. The second being a leadership couple here in this church. The third being a leadership couple of a church, of a girlfriend somewhere else. All of these couples were Christians. All of these couples are in leadership roles and yet one after the other dreams of these marriages being split up. The fourth dream finishing Friday last week was of a general wedding with a lot of Christians. It was a Christian wedding. Not sure whose wedding it was. The people that were getting married were kind of not that significant. But there was a lot of Christians there who were just going about eating and drinking before the bride and groom arrived and they were, she said, making light of marriage. It's like marriage wasn't that important. Two days later, I had someone come to me and say, I had a dream about someone, a close Christian couple that I'm close to, who in my dream just moved in together and not considering marriage as an important thing. And it kind of woke up gripping me going, oh, that's not quite right. That's not them. The next day, I had someone come to us and spoke with Jay and said, yeah, I had a dream about my marriage only last week as well, last weekend, where in my dream, I was dating a younger guy and going out to the nightclubs and pubs and out hanging out with his friends, none of whom who I knew, it was like I shouldn't really be with these people. And my husband was watching and he was kind of like, meh, whatever. <laughs> There's a few things that all these dreams have in common. And one is that they're all in a Christian context. And secondly, they all point towards one thing of an environment where the sanctity the sacredness, the significance and seriousness of marriage was not being honoured and respected. And so there's, I felt like God gave me no option today because <laughs> three people in a row, I, I go by the t- two or three witnesses, God's backed me into a corner. And so I want to speak on that today. And just so you know, to be safe, um, Jay insisted that this week, We've made an appointment with our marriage counsellor just in case things get bad. (laughs) You're laughing and I'm not joking. Okay. 
And that's why I began with Hebrews 1, because Hebrews is actually a book that's all about Jesus. Like Romans, it is an incredible theological treatise on who Jesus is. We start in Romans, uh, Hebrews 1, talking about how he's superior to angels. It talks about how he's superior to Joshua. It talks about how he's superior to Moses and how he's superior to Melchizedek, the priest. It goes on then to say in chapter 6, listen, we as Hebrew people, because it's written to Jewish people, you're going to get yourself in a Jewish mindset when you read it, as hard as that is. It says, listen, we need to leave the elementary teachings of our faith and embrace Christ and stick with him because he is vastly superior. Don't go back to the old. Chapter 7, 8, 9, 10 talks about the superiority of the new covenant over the old, the new temple over the old, the new system of worship over the old. Look at Jesus. Go with Jesus. Stick to Jesus. Don't turn back. In fact, chapter 11, be like those in the great hall of faith that persevered in knowing what was right, even though there was a price to pay for doing it. They didn't go back to the old. They stuck with what God had spoken to them and Hebrews 12 opens up by saying therefore since we have this incredible cloud of witnesses make sure you continue in your faith and fix your eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith chapter 1 through to chapter 12 Jesus is the most important thing Jesus is superior this new covenant he's given us is amazing persevere through faith don't go back focus your eyes on Jesus and that would be a great place to finish the letter But he doesn't. He brings in chapter 13, just when you weren't expecting it. And this is where some of us believe that Paul adds his personal little touch at the end of the book of Hebrews, which is a group letter. As you read Hebrews, the authors say us, 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 all the way through. Then at the end, it says I. And some of us feel like that could be Paul speaking. Hebrews 13, as he closes off this letter and says, listen, there's some last things I want to share with you. They are last, but they are not least. And he says this. I'll just read and then I'll explain. Chapter 1, verse 1. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed should be kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because God has said, I'm never going to leave you, I'm never going to forsake you. So therefore we can say with confidence, Lord's my helper, I won't be afraid. What can me mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't be carried away by all kinds of weird, peculiar, strange teachings. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods which is of no benefit to those who do so. After all, we have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. Remember, this is spoken into a context where the Jewish temple was still standing and he's saying, listen, we have, he's just still nudging right at the end. We have something superior. Don't go back. After all, the high priest carries the blood of animals to the most holy places of sin offering and bodies are burned outside the camp. Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we don't have an enduring city, but we're looking for a city that is to come. One of the nicknames of Jerusalem was that it was the internal city. And the writer here is saying, actually, on this planet, we don't have a city that's going to last forever. There is a heavenly Jerusalem contrasting there. Verse 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good. And share good with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not unnecessarily a burden. I added that bit. For that would be of no benefit to you. 
pray for us. We assure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And if you agreed with that, say, Amen. Amen. It's good to read scripture. And I just wanted to read a block there. You can, this week, your homework is just to go read Hebrews in one sitting. Swallow it whole. All right? You can do it. Choose a cafe, order some meatballs, go for it. Back to verse 4. I want to read verse 4 because of all these last but not least subjects, one of them is marriage. It's just encapsulated in one verse. I want to read the New American Standard Bible for a reason, so we'll do that first. Marriage is to be held in honour among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. I want to deal specifically with the second, uh, the NASB, the New American Standard, before I then look at the first. It says here, fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Fornicators is the word pornos, from which we get the word pornography, etc. Adulterers, moikos, okay. They speak of two different things. Adultery primarily talks about um, sex with someone, no, sex when someone who is married is engaged in outside marriage sex, specifically related to someone who's married. Uh, Fornication is not really a word we hear very often these days, but it has its origin in the word to sell. It originally meant male prostitution, uh, specifically prostitution, and then became known basically as anything to do with immoral sexual conduct in in sort of a, a broad term. So there's differences in those two words, but they are similarities. The first similarity is that both of those words are distinctly male which I guess means girls get off scrap-free. I mean, what else do you conclude after that? But both of them are male. The second thing is about that word, those words, that they're both nouns. And that's why I wanted to read this this version. They are both nouns. They are identity words. They are not doing words. I'll say that again. They're identity words. They are what someone is, not what someone does. Now, a lot of non-literal versions uh, make a habit sometimes of changing nouns to verbs or adjectives. So some of our Bibles say, for God will judge anyone who does this stuff or does that stuff. Okay, that's called a verb. Okay, it's not, that's not what it says in the Greek. They are nouns. This is someone, this is their identity. This is who this person is. And that's why I first want to address this, because the question is, is it possible to do something but not be that thing. Some of you remember, unfortunately so, me preaching with my Boy Scout uniform on once. Something which is getting harder and harder to do. And the idea of that, that sermon that day was to show you that even though, even if I dress like a child, my Boy Scout uniform that I had when I was 12. Even if I dress like a child and act like a child, I do not become a child because one day I became an adult. And from that day, that is an irreversible identity that I have. I am an adult and I can act like a kid, but acting like one doesn't mean I become one. I can verb childlikeness, But that does not mean that I now become a child. I can dress up, if I like, like a werewolf. Thursday last week, knocking on doors, trying to get candy. Stupid American traditions. I can dress like a werewolf. I can look like a werewolf. I can howl like a werewolf. Does that mean I become a werewolf? (laughs) My being human is part of my irreversible core identity. I am human, and even though I might act like an animal, that does not mean I become an animal. Some of you remember the story of a Romanian girl called something that I can't remember, who they found, whose parents were alcoholic, ran away from home for years. She grew up with dogs. They found her, child services found her. She was on all fours, eating dog food, weeing herself and pooing herself, living like a dog, barking like a dog, didn't speak a word of Romanian, ate like a dog, yet she never became a dog. She was always a human. 
She acted that way, but she did not become dog because that being human is part of her irreversible identity. I can dress up like a woman. Do we have to put this recording online? Do we have to? I can dress up like a woman. I can ask you to call me a woman. I can legally apparently now change my birth certificate. But I can act like a woman and not become, watch the differentiation here, and not become female. Because being male or female, those words, are biological words. They are irreversible identity biological words. And so I can call myself man, woman, gender words, but my biological identity is irreversible. My DNA will not change. And so I, you know, I think if we are having issues in society about men and women sport, maybe we should just call them male and female sport because those are biology terms that are irreversible. And that's why when you read Genesis 1.27, it doesn't say God made them man and woman. It says God made them male and female. It's a biology term. The same terms are used of animals. Those things are irreversible. My chromosomes will always be male even if I act or behave or speak or want you to treat me like a woman. Can you see the differentiation there? I, what I behave, how I act, how I speak and how I even want you to see me will not change an irreversible identity because biology is an irreversible identity. My age as an adult, irreversible identity. My not being a werewolf, being a human, is an irreversible identity. Well, when I come to Christ, I am declared holy. I am declared righteous. I am declared pure. I am no longer declared a sinner. I am declared a saint. It is part of the new creation born again experience. Who, one who was a caterpillar by very nature, has now metamorphosed and become a butterfly. And even if that butterfly has damaged wings or chooses to crawl around on its belly, it doesn't become a caterpillar again. It is still unchangeably, biologically a butterfly, even if it chooses to act like this, like that girl that they found in Romania. She acted like a dog, but a dog she never became. It was an irreversible identity to, for her as a human. Here's the way I see it, and this is a view that I hold. I believe that when we come to Christ and we are declared righteous and born again, we have an irreversible identity bestowed upon us and even if I live in a way that appears to be rejecting Christ the scripture says he will not reject me even when I do not have faith he still has faith for me and I am a while I might not be following Jesus when I'm born again I am a saint and I'm a saint for the rest of my life I do not believe that identity can be taken away and it cannot be sinned away. In the same way that a sinner cannot saint their way into sainthood, so I'm convinced that a saint, that's my irreversible identity, I cannot sin my way out of sainthood because none of my sin is greater than the work that Jesus accomplished for me. So, when I see, put the verse back on, when I see this verse... And I know that they are nouns, not verbs. I read this and go, for fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. See, some of us are like, well, hang on. When do I become an adulterer? When do I become a fornicator? I looked at pornography last night. Does that mean that I am now a fornicator in my identity? Did it change? Does it take 10 times? Does it take 20 times? When do I become that my conviction is this what the hebrew writer is saying is god will judge the god will judge fornicators and adulterers and that's not who you are so don't act like them don't act like this because that's not who you are 
when Paul wrote to the Corinthians and they're sleeping with temple prostitutes, he didn't say to them, don't you know when you sleep with temple prostitutes, you become an adulterer? No. He said to them, don't you know that when you sleep with temple prostitutes, because you're a saint, you're taking Jesus with you. He doesn't say Jesus left you. He says you take Jesus with you. So don't do that because it's not fitting for you. It's not who you are. So it's not you as a noun, okay? I am holy. I am righteous. And so I don't behave in those ways because it's not me. God will judge those who are that. And so like Lot and Sodom, I'm like, I'm distinct from that. I won't live in that town like that town. I will live differently. I will look differently because I am differently. That's how I see it. So I want to take that picture out of the equation for start before I then give you five Ps. Yes! I told you I'm still going to, I may be uncomfortable, but it's still going to do it my way. Five ways that we can honour marriage. Marriage should be honoured by all and the wedding, the marriage bed be kept pure. Here's five ways we can honour marriage. Number one, we keep it precious and praiseworthy. Keep it precious. The word there for marriage or the word there for honoured in the Greek means valued. It's of great worth. It's of great value. It is to be respected and esteemed. It's the same word in, in, in Acts 5 when it talks about Gamaliel, who's the Pharisee that trained Paul. And he got up and he stood up in the Sanhedrin and everyone listened to him because he was well respected. We respect that guy. We're going to listen to him. He's put in the hard yards. He's put in a lot of years. His word matters. We're going to respect what he says. It's the same word used there. When James talks about a farmer who plants a crop and it says he waits for the precious crop. God, you know, if you're a farmer, you've invested everything and that crop that's coming up, that's pretty darn valuable to you. It is a precious crop. It's worth waiting for and it's worth... I'm relying on that crop. It's so darn valuable to me. It's the same word. It's the same word in Revelation when it talks about the two cities and one of them, the New Jerusalem, has foundations of precious stones. Not cheap stones, precious, valuable rocks. It's the same word in 2 Peter 1 where it talks about God's promises being precious. And it's the same word in 1 Peter where it talks about Jesus' blood being precious. What's the point, Chad? The point is this. I've got a Greek um, computer program. I'm impressing you. The point is this. Marriage should be honoured. It's the same word that talks about the preciousness of Jesus' blood. The blood we sang about this morning, the Passover land blood, that's the whole context there in 1 Peter chapter 1. These are things we are grateful for. These are things worth waiting for. These are things worth esteeming. These are things that are valuable and precious. And marriage, Hebrews 13 says, should be honoured and valued like that. I get the humour. I know how it's funny that you can say, I've been married for 40 years. Don't even get that for murder. (laughs) I know the humour behind a groom or a first man, best man, getting up at a wedding and talking about the wife as the ball and chain. I know how that's funny. But it's not appropriate when talking about something that's really valuable and really precious. And I'm happy to joke about marriage. We've survived 15 years. <laughs> I, was in, <laughs> I was in a South Africa recently. I sat down with a pastor and, and he was taking me to his church. I was speaking there that morning. And I'm like, tell me a bit about yourself. What does your family look like? And he said, oh, we've got two kids, age four and six, and been happily married for eight years. I'm like, oh, yeah, how long have you been married? <laughs> he looks at me and goes, I, I just said, eight years. I'm like, oh, no, you said you've been happily married for eight years. I, I wanted to know how long you've been married all up. <laughs> So I'm happy to tell the occasional joke about that because that's kind of real. But there's just something that is precious and praiseworthy about marriage itself, like the blood of Jesus, like the promises of God, like words from someone who's studied all their life, like a farmer waiting for a precious crop, like a beautiful stone. There's something the scripture says marriage should be honoured and precious by all. And I understand, again, the complexity 
and I'm sorry for those of us who had bad experience in marriage, but please let us not demean, let us not degrade, let us not think less of or devalue this precious thing. We are to hold it in high regard as both precious and praiseworthy. The second way we can honour marriage. How do we honour marriage? This is meant to be the practical part, okay? How do we honour marriage? The second thing is this. We make it public. We make it public. You know, there are many, many things about people that can remain personal. Who you vote for, um, where you invest your money, some of your views on certain social issues, maybe certain theological perspectives. But marriage is not one of them. Marriage is something that is worth being made public and that's one of the ways we honour it in the public sphere. There's three, as you know, you've heard me teach before, the three main covenants in the Bible, Abram, Moses and Jesus. And One of the things with Moses and Jesus' covenant is that they're both called a marriage. Okay. Now you don't know that at the time when, when God's there at Sinai, blah, blasting out the Ten Commandments and giving the covenant. We don't know it's a marriage until later on the prophets kind of bring it up and said God married his people that day. It's the same with Jesus. And when Jesus shed his blood, as Brian Simmons says in the Passion Bible, uh, one of the words he most likely said in Aramaic when he said it is finished is the word talah. And talah means it is finished and talah also means my bride. And that day, as he hung on the cross, he gave, like Adam in the garden, gave birth to Eve Jesus bled from his side, blood and water, and gave birth to a bride. Okay? So these are covenants that are, he's saying, this is a marriage covenant. Two things that happen in those covenants. Number one, a public, a public ceremony, as it were, was involved. There was an event that looked like something. That's why most every culture on earth has developed, over time, a public ceremony, ritual, celebration around the thing of marriage. But that's not actually, to me, the most important thing. The most important thing, because I'm actually, I actually don't mind the idea of very quiet, private marriage, uh, weddings. I'm not talking about a wedding now, I'm talking about marriage. Marriage is public. One of the things that happened at both Sinai and the cross, while they were very public moments, one of the things that happened there is from that day on, everyone knew that their relationship had changed. From that day on, God and Israel's relationship was different and that was very public. All the nations knew God is treating his people a certain way. They've entered into a relationship. When Jesus birthed the new covenant, from that day it became very clear God was treating and relating to his people differently. And one of the things about marriage being public, what I mean by that is not necessarily the wedding, but the moment that from that day publicly things look different. You know, Paul said... When I, the, the apostle, he's a Jewish guy, of course, and he said, when I was a child, I spoke and acted and became like a child. But then he says, then I became a man. And the day I became a man, I left childhood behind and I started to live differently. Now he's talking there about his bar mitzvah. This is one of the, the other things I don't like about Western culture. I'm really proud to be a Westerner, but I don't like the idea that we have lost this thing that many cultures have had of there being a defining moment of adulthood. It's just really helpful. In fact, a friend of mine in New Zealand has developed something like this in his church where they have like an adulting type of moment and ceremony where they welcome teenagers, okay, quote, children into adulthood. And that's what the Jews had. They had this thing where at 13, 14 years of age, something like that, they would have a ceremony to say, this is no longer a child, this is now an adult. And from that day, I live differently. Now listen... He might be 14 and he might be a very immature adult. <laughs> okay? He might be a very inexperienced adult. He might be an adult that you don't entrust saying things that you would a 40-year-old to. All right? So he is an immature adult, but an adult nonetheless he is or she is. And so the community recognises from this day, I, I woke up a child, something happened, and the next day I woke up and I was an adult. When I became a father, I went to bed one night as a not father. <laughs> the next day I woke up and a father I was. That is an identity that was public. And then from that day on, I started to live differently. 
when I became a pastor. I had tendencies for a while. I was sort of pastoring in a, in a, in a little bit. But the day I had hands laid on me at a ceremony, as it were, of ordination, from that next morning I woke up and I started to live differently. Things were different. That is the public nature. The same with marriage. That's what I mean by public. Like God entered into a relationship with his people and from that day everyone knew those two have something going on that they didn't have before. That's what you see with Israel. From the moment they have a covenant with God, God's now relating to them differently and it's pretty obvious. Where one day I'm single, I had a public moment and the next day I woke up, I am a husband and I start to live and look differently. And For Jay and I, what that looked like is it was from that day, living and looking differently, making, respecting marriage, communicating that this is something so important and significant, it looks different to what it did then. Our relationship here had signs of marriage, but from here, it now is, and it's different. And for us, it meant from that day, a name change took place. From that day, we started sharing the same bed. From that day, we started sharing the same home. From that day, we started sharing the same bank account. From that day, we started sharing the same bills. <sighs> Sometimes you get more than what you bargained for in this thing. And the funny... <laughs> I'm saying you, you got way more than what you bargained for. And I say that to say this, in our culture, a little bit like how we've missed this whole adulting thing, and some of us, and this was the humour in the 90s around shows like Seinfeld and others, where you've got these kids that are 30 years of age and haven't grown up yet because they don't know when they became adults. And as Westerners, as we've kind of gone, oh, let's, let's transition, let's blur the edges, let's understand the complexities of young people as they kind of find their way. We've also kind of blurred the edges where you have perpetual children living on because they haven't been told, now's the time you're a man. And you might be an immature man, but a man nonetheless you are. And in a similar way in our culture, and this is one of, again one of the downsides of modern Western culture, is as we've blurred the, the, the difference culturally, socially, between what non-marriage looks like and what marriage looks like, we're also communicating to another generation that this thing's not important because it just kind of looks the same. There's nothing really that's different. After all, it's just a piece of paper. And so we have arguments, we develop in culturally the understanding. After all, it's just a piece of paper, nothing's different. And I think one of the, one of the ways that we respect, because what am I talking about? We're looking at that verse, it says honour marriage. One of the ways we do that is by distinguishing there is a public, something public about marriage that looks different. A moment followed by a lifestyle where things look different and that is publicly known. We're running out of time. Three last things. How do we honour marriage? One, we keep it precious and praiseworthy. Two, we make it public. Three, we keep it private. <laughs> we make it public and we keep it private. Ephesians 5.33, Paul's talking about marriage there, or the Bible's talking about marriage. And it sums it up by saying, listen, again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband, love and respect. And while they're very similar in a lot of ways, there's also some difference. One of the things we're doing at the moment is we're looking at marriage courses for next year and one of them's called Love and Respect. It's kind of based on this thing, uh, the te general theory and you know, there's always people outside the edges, I get that. But the core need for the wife is to be loved and a core need for the man is to be respected. And while we're very familiar with this one, oh yeah, women should be loved, we're very awkward in society with this one. What the heck does that mean? Oh, that's raised a bit of an eyebrow. I don't think that course sounds good. And so this thing of love and respect, well, one of the things that love and respect do have in common is both love and respect protect. Love and respect clothe with dignity. That when you love someone, there's a protection that comes. When you respect someone, there's a protection that comes. There's a something about in the proximity of a marriage relationship you see the worst and the weakest in someone. And the vulnerability that comes from that means that there is protection that's required. 
I'm quite happy to say that there are people in this room that I'm very happy can read any single page in the story of my life. Open book. I'm happy to say anything about me to a few people, not to all of you, but to a few people and to some people I have. Every, anything, about my, anything about me, open book, happy to let you know. But I won't necessarily let you know everything about my family because there's some things that unless I've got expressed permission, I'm just not going to share. There's some things that are private. There's some things that I do know in my spouse and vice versa that we won't share unless there is express permission. And certainly as a pastor, I'm aware learning from the mistakes of others. How pastors particularly tend to, because they love people, want to make their life public and their family life public in order to help people. And yet they raise kids who therefore feel vulnerable because their life's been exposed and their marriage has been exposed without that permission. And this is one of the wonderful privileges, uh, wonderful responsibilities of protecting and respecting one another. Because yeah, marriage is public, but marriage should also be kept private in some areas. And that's one of the things that we can value marriage. I'm sure that many of you have heard someone say something about their spouse from time to time and you go, I probably shouldn't have known that. I probably, you, you know, that's awkward. I probably shouldn't have heard that. Keep it private. Fourthly, make it a priority. How do we honour marriage? We make it a priority. And as Westerners, of course, we read the Bible in the key of me. Let's open our Bibles. Me, 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 me. What is the word for me? So when we hear something, a preacher say, make it a priority. There's nudgings that happen in the rows going, this is for us. You are meant to make it a priority for me. Okay, This is investing. When you have a priority, you put your time, your effort, your energy, your money, your, 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 your efforts and stuff into something that's a priority. But listen, the Bible is written in the key of we. Wee, 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 wee. Gee, I, I thought I was fine. Now all of a sudden, you know. Um, the Bible's written in a collective culture where people thought in the key of we. And so when we read the verse that says, marriage should be honoured by all, and when Chad or a preacher says, let's make marriage a priority, what we should do is hear that in the key of we and go, how can not me in my home make marriage a priority? Yeah, number one. But number two, what about us? together what about together how we can make marriage a priority and it was just great this morning to know that without any prompting someone can come up during our good news segment and say we've been married for 15 years and that's one way we can make marriage a simple priority as a family to celebrate those moments you know when I was in New Zealand earlier this year it was I was in a church I was speaking and it's where I got this whole idea about having a moment where we can share good news with one another and chocolates and all that. I thought, oh, that could work. That was really good. And I went to two services. This church had back-to-back -back services where they did it. They probably had 20 to 30 people over that time come and share good news. But I only remember one story. And it's a couple that came up and they looked like they'd had a rough life. You know some people, you're like, these guys have got an interesting journey. They're in their mid-50s. They're pretty rough looking. They came up together, they were holding hands and they said, we're celebrating our fourth wedding anniversary this weekend. And that hit me. I'm like, because you know what? There's probably someone sitting there today that were talking about divorce the night before. Maybe there was someone going to bed that night thinking, is our marriage going to last? And to have this couple come up rough as guts in their mid-50s, celebrating that they're in love after four years. And they said, it hadn't been easy. No, nah, it's not easy. <laughs> no, we do. And celebrating four years, I'm like, hats off to you. That is awesome. Maybe someone just needed to hear that that day. It's one of the ways we can keep as a community marriage a priority. In other ways, obviously, to help people as they get married, take interest in others. Those of you who are older, Titus 2 talks about helping the younger ones in their marriage. You know, next year, if we run a marriage course, some of you have been married for 40 years, you're going to look at that marriage course and you're going to go, we don't need that, we've got it worked out. <laughs> and, okay, Jeff, I think you should enrol right now. 
It's a sign, okay? But you know what you can do, even though you might think, well, we've been married 40 years, we've kind of worked it out. We don't need to go. One of the things when you think, I can make marriage a priority in my community, is I can go to that course to tell all the young ones how much of a priority marriage is. That even though we've actually got it kind of worked out after 40 years, I want to have a show of support that says this matters. There are little things that we can do as a community to elevate marriage, to say it's a priority in our family. And the last thing is this, and it's right out of that verse, we keep it pure. Yes, it's another P. Thank you very much. How do we honour marriage? We make it keep it precious and praiseworthy. Honour, precious. We make it public. We make it, keep it private. We make it a priority. And lastly, we keep it pure. And that's what that verse says. Marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed we kept pure. Now, we all know that sex is not the be-all and end-all of a marriage. But sexual health is an absolutely significant factor to uh, the vast majority of marriage relationships. And the fact is there are just certain things that contribute to an unhealthy, unhealthy sex life. Probably the biggest one I mentioned before is the issue of infidelity. And we know that some of us, again, in this room, very closely or close to us, we've been affected by this issue. The word pure here literally means uncontaminated. It means that something from the outside has not come in. When something's contaminated... Okay, it's an exterior thing coming in where it shouldn't be. When something's pure, it's protected from outside things that make it, as I said, contaminated. Free from contamination is what it literally means. The writer of Hebrews uses it in chapter 7 to talk about Jesus. Jesus, he says, is innocent as a high priest, innocent and uncontaminated. And when it comes to the marriage bed, to be pure in very simple terms, simply means that this place is just between the two of us. There's no room in this bed for anyone but the two of us. Now, certain times in the morning, kids jump in and all that, okay, it makes that awkward. But as far as sex goes, when it comes to the marriage bed, it's speaking about sex, there's no room in this bed other than then the two of us. And I'm not just speaking practically there. I mean, the Bible talks about orgies and literally more than, one, more than two people in a bed. The Bible speaks about real issues after all. But I'm not just speaking practically. Infidelity, infidelity as many of us know, is an, ash, is an issue first and foremost in the head and in the heart and the emotions. Where both mentally and emotionally, we have a commitment that this is just between the two of us. And I say that sensitively because I'd say all of us, but maybe some of you don't qualify. So maybe I'll just say many of us. Many of us know what it's like to have sexual thoughts and to have sexual feelings about someone other than our spouse, someone outside of this bed. You know what it's like. We have dreams. We have thoughts. God, where the heck did that come from? We have sometimes, some of us experience an emotional pull towards someone outside of our marriage. Many of us understand that. But as Martin Luther so powerfully put, it's such a great picture. He said, you know, you can't prevent birds from flying over your head. You can't prevent that. A bird flies over your head, nothing to do with you. But you can stop that bird from landing on your head making a nest, coming back and forth with sticks, okay, over a period of a week, investing, laying an egg, hatching hatchlings. You can stop that, all right? You've got the ability to stop that from happening. And there are times when sexual thoughts outside of our own married bed, sexual thoughts come to us, maybe sometimes sexual feelings come to us that we know are not right. Not all the time can we stop them, which actually means it doesn't mean that those thoughts in themselves are sinful. They're not wrong. It's not necessarily your fault. If they're coming frequently, it may be because we're feeding ourselves an unhealthy sexual diet. We might be putting things into our system that help us dream of things. But sometimes just thinking things, it's actually not 
our fault at all. It's just, ugh, just a thought. And as a pastor, obviously I've been invited into the sacredness of those spaces where people have come to me and they said, listen, I'm struggling with this feeling to someone that's not my spouse. I'm struggling with this issue of looking at images that are not my spouse. And that is an incredibly brave, fitting and right thing to do because one of the first things to help in those areas is just by bringing things to the light. Bringing things to light. And of course there's other complexities and areas of addiction and whatever. I'm not going to do a good job today of covering complexities at all. But the first thing is to bring certain things into the light and to develop a habit as we respect marriage to do what Paul says in Corinthians and he says, flee sexual immorality. Flee. Like literally run away. And this is why we have the story of David and why we have the story of Joseph in the scriptures to show us a good example and to show us a bad example. To show us an example of Joseph who felt the pull toward an area and literally tore himself away. I probably would suggest screaming and shouting. Sometimes I scream and shout. This morning, this morning, I got a friend, I got a, not a friend request, I got a like from someone on a post that I did two years ago. A, a, a happy face laugh on something to do with Christmas. I'm like, that's odd. Who the heck's this person? Click on it. Don't know this name. First thing that comes up, click here for all my nude pics. <laughs> She's contacted you as well, hasn't she? And I've just developed a habit to talk to the screen when that happens. To like Joseph go, Ah! <laughs> ah! Delete! Fleeing. Because the opposite, of course, is David, who at night time, while he was weak, while he was emotionally unstable, saw something and kept looking and did not flee and allowed that pull to come to him because that sexual pull, male and female, <laughs> is very real. And sex is supposed to be real. It's supposed to be powerful. There's supposed to be a draw. There's supposed to be feelings. It's supposed to be good. Good. And so all that is natural. But here, how do we honour marriage? We keep it pure where we go. You know what? There's no room except for the two of us in this place. And I'll tell you, as someone who's had conversations with people on either side of this decision, of the one who comes first to go, I'm having these feelings. I've been involved in this. I, want to, I just want to let you know I'm freaking out. This is what's happening. I need to tell someone. As someone who's had those conversations and someone who's had the conversations further down the track where someone has just kept walking down this road, I want to tell you that prevention is far better than healing. And I'm glad for healing. And I've experienced healing of restored marriages for people that have walked down a path of infidelity. But I tell you what, in those stories... There are many moments where that road can be stopped. And so I say that with sensitivity today because, number one, I know the complexity of many people and many faces in this room, but I don't know the things that I don't know. And I don't know the complexities of even some personal struggles here today. And so on this issue, I say with kindness but firmness, please take this seriously. Keep the marriage bed pure. And one of the best ways to do that, both with an emotional draw or a mental draw of the eyes, is to bring things out in the light. Approach someone, have a conversation. And while there may be other processes and ongoing counselling and all that type of stuff is, is good, at least make a day where you say, yes, I acknowledge that. And I'm glad that maybe today that was a timely word for me. Because... For God to give three people prophetic dreams over a period of a week, <laughs> people who have a decent prophetic reputation in our church. I won't share their names, but enough to share those details I shared. I think God is wanting 
to say something and get our attention on something. And for us to say together, let marriage be honoured by all. And I will play my part in that process. Because like I said at the start, talking about Bronte and the funeral and that coming up, what kind of church do I want to be a part of? And whatever answers that flow from that, say that I will play my part in making sure that we become like that as a church family. I want to end with Romans 13, the other great theological treatise on Jesus and the gospel, that after all the stuff of how awesome the gospel is, he also adds a 13th chapter right near the end where he says this, Romans 13, 12. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. You see, we put on goodness as exterior clothing to show who we really are on the inside. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarrelling and jealousy, because none of these suit you. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Recognise who you are. I'm in Christ and legally speaking, he is completely covering me before a holy God who judged him in my place. Thank you, Lord. I do not come to a throne of judgment. I come to a throne of grace. But on this planet, I take seriously my role to clothe my souls with Christ so that you can see Christ in me, so that you can see a holy God in me, so that you can see that what matters to him, it matters to me. And this wonderful relationship of commitment that God has made with us at the cross is a relationship described as marriage. So as a community, we will take this seriously because we know it demonstrates something of the nature of the God that we serve. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au and of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day.